Happy Easter, church. Thank you so much for joining us for our online Easter service. We are so happy you are here with us today. Hey, we want to remind you that we believe Easter should be celebrated, which is why we've made the decision to not only celebrate Easter today, but once we can reunite in our building together, we'll be hosting a reunion Easter celebration, whatever day that may be. But for now, we are celebrating our Lord together. We will also be taking communion together, church. So gather whatever cracker or bread or juice you have in the house, anything will do and we will celebrate our Lord together. Christ is Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let us celebrate with worship before our Savior today. God, we worship you in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, we thank you for new life. We sing. I was buried beneath my shame. could carry that kind of weight. It was my turn till I met you. That's right, church. I was breathing but not alive. Yes, God. All my failures I tried.
Yes, Father, we praise you. Jesus, we thank you for what this day means, eternal life with you. Prophet Isaiah prophesies this. He said, he took our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It is no doubt that this person was Jesus. Jesus, you take our pain. You take our sin on you on the cross. So as we sing this next song, let us reflect not only on what Jesus did, church, but let us reflect on the fact that he took this pain for us. Church, this is the love of our God on display.
together again, church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Yes. Lord, we thank you for the significance of these words. Lord, we thank you for the significance of the cross where Jesus, your body, was broken for us. The pain that was endured, a penalty that was meant for us, you took onto you. Lord, we thank you for the blood that washes white as snow. Our sins, our transgressions, which brings us new life with you. Church, we are going to enter into a time of communion together. Would you go ahead and grab those elements as we partake in remembrance together of that day? In his word, it says, the night he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and broke bread with them. He passed it to them and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us partake together, church. Jesus, we remember the body that was broken, the flesh that was pierced, that was beaten and bruised for us. Lord, we reflect and we remember the penalty. And God, we thank you. Jesus, we worship you. Church, it then says, he filled the cup and said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. This is a new covenant. Let's partake together. Jesus, we thank you for this cleansing blood that offers us new life with you. Father, we are with you. We worship you. Lord, we thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Church, what a beautiful thing it is for us to take communion together as the body of Christ. Well, hey, let us respond with praise today, this Easter Sunday. Yes, Lord. See, the gospel is alive. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the good news. Let us worship, church. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt We lift up this praise to you, Lord
Yes, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for this new life. Lord, we are resurrected unto you, just as you resurrected three days later. So God, we lift up the celebration to you. We lift up our hearts to you. You are worthy of this celebration. And as your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. So good to worship with you this Easter. Here is Pastor Greg with today's message. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Easter Sunday. We are together today in spirit, which is really the whole point of gathering together in person. So uh, let's rejoice and realize that all across our area, families and individuals are gathering together this Easter morning because we are one in spirit, because we recognize that what Jesus has done on this Easter morning uh, causes us to be one. And there's an ancient tradition among believers, many of you are familiar with it, goes back centuries, even millennia, and that is that on Easter morning, believers greet each other in a very specific way. And here's how it goes if you're unfamiliar. The first believer says to the second, he is risen. And the answer the second believer gives is that he is risen indeed. So I, I just want to offer that greeting to you this morning and, and, and invite you to give it back uh, to, to us, to each other, even in this moment. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. What a glorious celebration Easter is. This is the most glorious weekend of our year as believers. And so I celebrate with you. I so wish that we could be gathered together in person, but as I said, we are gathered together in spirit and it's great to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Weston, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, thank you for leading us in communion this morning. We all felt that. We all felt the reality of that and, and we're grateful. And now let's take a few minutes uh, to open God's Word together on Easter morning. I hope you've got plans today to, to meet with family, to spend time with your family. I realize that's limited to households, but uh, my wife and I are very much planning to do that today. I hope you are too. Uh, open your Bible, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 12, and we're going to move around a little bit. We're going to be in the end of Luke's Gospel as well. We're going to take a side trip towards the end there into Hosea the prophet. But John, chapter 12, is where we're going to begin this morning. And, and let me ask you a question, easy to answer this Easter morning. And the question is this, who do you cheer for? Who are you a fan of? Most of us are fans of someone or something. Uh, who are you a fan of? For me uh, and my wife, we're, we're fans probably first and foremost of the Sounders. Uh, after that, probably the Seahawks and, and of course, our Oregon Ducks. Uh, I'm a fan of some other things as well, though. I'm a huge fan of teachers. I think they do something that's incredibly important and significant. I'm a huge fan of farmers. After uh, pastoring for seven years over on the Palouse, I came to appreciate farming in a way that I hadn't before. I'm a fan of farmers and, and I'm a fan too of martyrs, of people who know how to give themselves away, people who know how to surrender themselves for the greater good. I'm a fan of all of these things and, and we are all fans of lots of things and sometimes being a fan is just plain fun. This week I, I came across a, a, a collection of top fan costumes and I thought I'd uh, share a few of those with you. These come from the NFL. Uh, for instance, take a look at this fella. He's really into being a fan. And um, so is this guy. Take, take in his spirit in the moment. Can you see that? This guy may not have had the greatest idea, take a look at him, but he's certainly full of, uh, of enthusiasm for his team. How about this one? Yeah, right, definitely a fan. Sometimes fans get really creative. I love this one, take a look at him. Yeah, he was thinking it through. I kinda wonder if he isn't celebrating on Easter morning. Sometimes fans know best how to take advantage of the moment. Take a look at this fan. 
yeah, she pretty much nailed it. She knows how to seize the moment. Uh, sometimes fans become fans uh, kind of unintentionally. Take a look at this one. I got a kick out of that. Real fans, though, know how to suffer for being a fan. And that's what these folks are showing us in this picture. Take a look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all of us are sometimes fans of different things. And sometimes that's just fun. And sometimes it turns out to be a little less than fun. Uh, I remember after our final soccer game in high school and we knew that we were together for the last time as a team and, and before the game we noticed that on an adjacent field there was a huge mud puddle and, and uh, being young guys in high school we came up with this plan that after the game was over we were going to kind of commemorate uh, our time together as a team by charging across to that field and, and diving face first into that huge mud puddle. And I thought it was just a fantastic idea. I became a fan of it. I was kind of cheering for it all throughout the game. And, and when we got to the end of the game, we all rallied together and, and we headed out, took off at a sprint to jump into that mud puddle. And it just so happened that I was the guy up front and, and I was the first one to take that leap into the mud puddle. And um, after I landed in the midst of it, I turned my head and noticed that everybody else had stopped at the edge of the puddle. I was the only one who went in. And that's also when I noticed that that mud puddle was actually the overflow of a septic drainage field. And in that moment, I was a little less enthusiastic about being a fan. Why do I bring that up this morning? Because sometimes Easter can feel like uh, a celebration of, of being a fan of Jesus. At this time of year, it is easy to be a fan of him. And and our Bible tells us that many people entered into that Easter week in that spirit. Last week we celebrated Palm Sunday. And, and of course, if you know the story, you know that on Palm Sunday, uh, huge crowds were expressing their enthusiasm for Jesus. They were waving palm fronds. They were singing songs. They were cheering for him as he entered Jerusalem. And there was a, a tremendous spirit of enthusiasm in that moment. And it, it really permeated the whole week. Uh, as the week went on, uh, we see Peter's enthusiastic willingness to to fight for Jesus, to stand with him in, a, in an aggressive and direct way. And, and we saw the whole nation kind of coming together uh, for a, a spiritual celebration, gathering around that Passover tradition. There was a lot of enthusiasm. And in a modern context, we might have said there was a lot of fandom going on. But the interesting thing is just a week later, all that would change. And these same fans would be screaming for Jesus' execution. Over the course of a week, they would go from shouting Hosanna in the highest to crucify him, away with him, give us Barabbas, crucify him. What a dramatic turnaround in a very short period of time. Suddenly, all that enthusiasm had turned into something very different. Why, why did that happen? Why is that? Well, this morning, God wants to talk to us about something that he knows that we often lose touch with. And that is that our need, friends, is not for a hero to cheer for. It's for a savior for our souls. We need a savior more than we need a hero. And we need repentance even more than we need celebration and worship. That's an unusual thing to hear on Easter morning, but that's because we've lost touch with the greatest part of Easter. And I want to spend just a couple of minutes sharing that with you this morning. Lots of people think or assume that the resurrection is the high point of the Christian story. But it really isn't, and our Bible is at pains to help us understand that. When we get in touch with the truth that is the high point of Easter weekend, it's even better than the celebration that we assume is the high point. 
God wants to talk to us about that for a little bit this morning. So let me help you cast your mind back to the beginning of this Easter week, to Palm Sunday. John's Gospel tells us about it in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, the next day a great crowd that had come for the feast, the Passover feast, that whole celebration weekend, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. That word Hosanna means save, redeem, restore, renew. And they saw Jesus bringing that and they thrilled to that prospect. And, and that morning was very much like, you know, a, a championship football game might look today with people cheering and thrilled at what they were looking forward to happening. And in that moment, they were celebrating all the awesome things Jesus had done, his miracles, his teaching, his correcting of the errors and the wayward ways of the religious leaders of that day. And because of all that, he had become very popular. But it's interesting that in the midst of his greatest popularity, Jesus almost always downplayed it. He almost always pointed away from those moments of enthusiastic thrill to something else, to some other aspect of his coming. In John chapter 6, one time when the crowds were gathering around him in this same spirit of, of Palm Sunday, Jesus said, you're looking for me because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He said, no, no, don't just work for food that spoils. Come to me for more than that. Very often, the Lord says that to us as well. Don't come to me just for the little things. Come to me for the greater things. Over in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote about this tendency when he said in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom because that's what they cheer. But Jesus, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You know, another way of thinking about this is that everybody loves a winner, but there's a difference between being on the bandwagon and being in the band. There's lots of fair weather fans. Much of that Palm Sunday crowd would turn out to be just that, just that fair weather fans. Bandwagon fans get caught up in the moment. I remember when my wife and I lived over on the Palouse and we just happened to be in Spokane, Washington for a, a training conference on the weekend when the Gonzaga basketball program first kind of blew up and started winning games. Nobody thought they should win and they emerged onto the national consciousness. And, and Ron and I were very much caught up in that thrill. I remember standing in a hallway during the conference with hundreds of other people looking up at a tiny TV in the corner because we were, we were cheering for Gonzaga and what was happening and it was contagious and it was fun uh, but the truth of the matter is that when the chips were down when the chips were down a couple of seasons later Rhonda and I weren't cheering for Gonzaga because they were playing our ducks and our heart belonged to them you see there's a difference between being on the band and being in the bandwagon Cougar fans understand this good or bad rain or shine they still bleed red there's a difference between being in the band and being on the bandwagon. And Jesus knew that. So on that Palm Sunday, the Bible actually tells us that he responded to the enthusiasm of the crowd in a curious way. Verses 23 to 25 of John's Gospel tell us how he responded. Seeing these crowds and, and seeing the thrill of his disciples, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then he said, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know, there's a part of me that wants to say, gee, Jesus, thanks for being a wet blanket. We're trying to have a party here. But what the Lord knew is that there's a deeper joy than this Palm Sunday rejoicing. And he had come on Easter weekend to bring that deeper joy. You see, church, 
Jesus responded the way he did to the enthusiasm of the crowd because he knew that this moment of triumph, this entry into Jerusalem, wasn't really the moment of triumph. We call it the triumphal entry, but it's really the calm before the storm. You know, another way to think about this is, if you cast your mind back, what are the greatest moments of your life? What are the moments that you are most proud of in your spirit? The chances are those moments aren't uh, moments of cheering and triumph, but probably moments of sacrifice. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, that this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Whenever I hear that verse, my mind goes back to a moment that we have captured in a photograph in our family. And it was a moment shortly after our son, Isaiah, was born. And so he's maybe just a few months old. And, and like most little kids, he's having a hard time sleeping through the night. He's waking up all the time. And we're getting up as parents to take care of him, mostly Rhonda, occasionally me. And... We have this picture uh, uh, from about 1.30 in the morning on a weekday uh, of Rhonda standing in the kitchen of our little apartment. And uh, she's got this, this ratty robe on. She's got mismatched slippers. Her hair's going every direction. And she's holding Isaiah, little baby Isaiah, in her arms. And she's feeding him. And on her face is just a bleary-eyed picture of exhaustion. And that picture has become one of the most treasured pictures in our family because it's a picture of love. It's a picture of her sacrifice at 1.30 in the morning for our son, of her taking care of him. And we, we remember that moment as one of the best moments of our family. Jesus knows that his best moment isn't this triumphal entry. His best moment is coming is still ahead of him. A dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine, writes this. He says, I think a good number of us who consider ourselves Christians believe that we have peace and security with God because at some point in our lives we have gone out to meet Christ with palm branches waving in our hearts and cheers on our lips. But it is a false assurance. For peace and security with God is not found on Palm Sunday. It's found on Easter weekend. In other words, church, the power of Easter doesn't lie in this triumphant moment, but in another moment, a moment that Jesus is careful to point to, even in the midst of the triumph. You know, when I think of my time playing soccer in college, and I, I ask myself, what was the best moment uh, of those years of playing together as a team, I always go back to a moment when we were just being creamed. We were playing a very uh, good team, uh, George Fox University in Portland, and, and as the game went on, it was just obvious that we were totally overmatched. They were uh, uh, ranked nationally. We weren't even ranked on our neighborhood. And uh, by the end of the game, it was 10 to 1, which you know, it's like a football game that ends 200 to 3. It was just a wipeout. And, and I remember living through that experience and thinking, this is terrible. But when the game was over, an elderly man came out of the stands and he made his way across the field. I remember him because he had a cane and a dark suit. And he made a point of walking straight towards me. I had, was kind of a player coach that day. Our coach couldn't make it. I was a captain, so I was leading the team. He recognized that. He made his way across to me. And I'll never forget what he said. He just looked me right in the eye and he said, young man, I want you to know that I have been watching George Fox soccer for 40 years and I have never seen a team conduct itself in a more Christian spirit than your team did today. And he just shook my hand and left. I'll never forget that moment. It lives in my heart to this day. And it's something like that that Jesus is pointing to in this moment. You see, that day we were failing utterly, but something bigger was happening. During the intervening week between Palm Sunday and that celebration of worship and crowds and triumph, things changed. 
by the end of the week, disappointed and disillusioned by this king who, who wouldn't fight the Romans, who wouldn't go along with the traditions of the Pharisees, and who insisted on washing feet instead of whacking bad guys. During the week, the crowd, disillusioned and disappointed by who he turned out to be, turned on him. Luke tells us in chapter 23, verses 18 to 22, that with one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Wow! How different is that from a week ago? This is the same crowd that cheered, the same crowd that worshipped, the same crowd that sang and carried palm fronds a week ago. Because the truth of the matter, church, is that there's two of them, and the real crowd was emerging at the end of the week. I wonder, are there two of you? Is there a public one that celebrates and cheers and triumphs? And a private one that shames itself, that fails, that falls short, and that betrays even God himself sometimes? Are there two of you? There's, there's two of me. I'll never forget a day when I left the office when we were pastoring in Coeur d'Alene and I had to run downtown to run an errand and it was a busy day and things hadn't been going my way that week and, and I was all in a turmoil in my spirit and I was in, trying to hurry from one thing to the next and as I, I made my drive to downtown I, I came up to an intersection where there was a stop sign but I couldn't see the stop sign because somebody had, had parked a, a pickup camper uh, right in front of the sign. And so when I came into the intersection, not seeing the stop sign, at that same moment, somebody else came through the intersection who had the right of way. And uh, both of us had to hit our brakes and skid to a stop. And, and of course, I was startled and didn't realize what had happened. And the other fellow was quite angry. And uh, he threw open the door of his vehicle and jumped out and started yelling at me, cussing and swearing. And to my shame, can I tell you what I did? <laughs> I jumped out of my car as well, threw open the door and said, hey, you want to go? Let's throw down right here. <laughs> I said, I couldn't see the sign because of the camper. Why don't you calm down? And, and the guy got back in his truck and drove away, and I felt like an idiot. I got back into my truck, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to my spirit, good job, pastor. Nice witnessing. <laughs> see, there's, there's two of me, and Jesus knows this. Sometimes I am as fickle as that crowd. Sometimes I am that crowd. And sometimes, church, we go to God at our best as if that's what he's come for. But the truth of Easter is that he's come to meet us at our worst. He's come to save us at our worst. You know, the crowd screamed, crucify him, away with him. They demanded that he be executed. Do you know how Jesus responded to that crowd? He spoke the most gracious words anyone has ever spoken in a moment like that. The Bible says that he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, this is Jesus' triumphant moment. His going to the cross for our sins, his being at his best when we are at our worst. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Jesus came to Easter weekend because he knew that we needed much more than a hero to cheer for. We needed a savior. And he knew the cost of being a savior, but he came willingly to pay it. We, we sometimes act as if the resurrection at Easter is the peak of the story and as if the cheering for Jesus is the height of faith, but it isn't. The empty tomb isn't the sign of our faith. The cross is. And Jesus doesn't come first to celebrate our celebrating. He comes to pour out his love and his grace and his forgiveness on our very worst moments. And he invites us 
to receive His grace. That's the triumphant moment on Easter weekend. The scripture tells us that that over the course of that weekend, more than 500 people were resurrected along with Jesus. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 27. Their bodies were restored. Their flesh was healed. Matthew says the tombs broke broke open and the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What a triumph. And yet, every single one of those people who were resurrected went on to die again. Because church, understand, the greatest resurrection at Easter is what happens on the inside of us when we confess our sins and accept His grace and are born again. That's forever. That resurrection lasts forever. And Easter is the story of God offering us His grace and inviting us to receive it. That's what he's doing right now in this moment for you. That tug you feel in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Offering you the grace of God in this moment. All we have to do is receive it. But the truth is, that's sometimes hard to do. You know, Ron and I, in, uh, in these days, we... We hardly ever have a serious fight. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just kind of the way we are at this stage in our life. Maybe once every couple of years or once a year, we'll have, you know, a real conflict. But after 35 years together, we've left most of those behind. But once in a while, I can be a real loser. And a few years ago, I was giving her the silent treatment because I was angry about something. And kind of my way when I get really angry is I get really quiet. And, and I was doing that. I hadn't spoken to her for an entire day. Even though we were in the same house, it was a, a day off. And after a whole day of that, she came upstairs into the room, my man cave up there, where I had kind of isolated myself that day. And she opened the door and she just said quietly, are you coming? I was a little surprised. I turned around and I said, coming where? She said, well, dinner is on the table. I thought to myself, you made dinner for me? Don't you know I'm mad at you? <laughs> Don't you know we're having a fight here? And I actually said out loud, I said, you made dinner for me? And she said, of course, you're my husband. You know, in that moment, church, I had a choice to make. I could either receive her grace despite my failure, or I could refuse to. Ah, glad to say that God helped me to receive her invitation. That plus the fact that she'd made salmon, and I have no power when somebody makes salmon. But here's the reality. In our worst moments, God is like that. He comes and he offers us his grace because he loves us. Some of us really struggle with that. We want a Jesus who triumphs in a different way. We want a God who loves our worship more than our confession. But the real God knows what we need most, and he goes to the cross to give it. During that week when the crowd went from fans of him to sworn enemies of him, Jesus had a last supper with his friends, his friends that he knew would fail in their friendship with him in just a matter of hours. And during that meal, the Bible says in John chapter 13 that he got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and then poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He took upon himself the lowest role in the household to wash the worst part of their bodies. The Bible says he came to Simon Peter during this process, and Peter hesitated. Peter held back. He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied and said, Peter, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Church, Peter thought that Jesus wanted his worship more than his confession. Jesus thought, or Peter thought, that Jesus valued that more than he valued Peter's willingness 
to receive Jesus' love and grace. That's why the Lord said, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. The question is, do you understand that God comes to you in your worst moment and offers His love and His grace? Peter struggled with that idea. Verse 8 tells us that he answered and said, No, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And the world is full of people who think like this. The church is sometimes full of people who think like this. They dream of offering God their best, but he knows that they need to bring him their worst. In a few minutes, Peter would swear that he would die for Jesus, and in a few hours, he would betray that reality. Jesus knew that. It didn't stop him from offering Peter his grace and his love. And in verses 8 and 9, Jesus answered Peter's reluctance by saying, unless I, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. So then Simon submitted and allowed Jesus to wash him. At Easter, friends, Jesus comes offering his grace because his moment of greatest triumph is on the cross. The resurrection is just a, an exclamation point at the end of Jesus' real triumph. The only question is whether you'll let him give it to you. Peter faced that challenge. I faced that challenge when Rhonda came in to tell me about dinner. And the question this Easter is, will you let him wash your feet, the worst part of you? Will you bring that part of you and offer it to him? as he offers you his grace and his love. You know, the book of Hosea in your Bible is the story of God teaching the prophet how much he loves his people at their worst. Wonderful book for you to maybe spend some time in. And in the middle of Hosea, God says something profound, and we close with it this Easter morning. He says, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. See, church, here's the Easter message. Here's the Easter triumph. Jesus went to the cross to wash away our sins. And he offers his grace freely to us at our worst. The only way you can miss this grace is to refuse to receive it. God offers it to us. All we have to do is be willing to receive it. And this Easter morning, God wants you to know the joy of his washing away your sins, calling you his own, even when you thought that could never happen again. He offers us his grace on the cross. That is his triumph. That is the glory of Easter. And the resurrection is just a testimony to what he did for us on the cross. So will you let God meet you in your worst moment? Will you let him wash your feet in your worst moment? That's what Easter's about. And when we do, a joy that comes from that moment is deeper than all others and carries us into an Easter spirit year-round. I wonder if you'd pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you come to meet us in our darkest moments, at our worst, that you invite us to bring you our failures. I think of what your word says, that you give us beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. God, uh, teach us to come bringing to you our failures that we would know the joy of your grace. Lord, we recognize that it is a cross that reconciles us to you, and we thank you for it. God, teach us to be the kind of people who share that grace with the world around us. We pray for it this Easter morning, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Easter, friends. It's time to celebrate, but what we celebrate is the grace of God given to us freely in Christ Jesus. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God and tell someone you love him. He is risen. He is risen indeed.